you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. And we're kind of uh, running through it because chapter 10 uh, tells... Uh, tells a story, and you kind of got to take it all together. And I encourage you, uh, if you aren't somebody that's reading uh, these chapters before we come to church on Sunday, to take some time uh, to read through and hear uh, hear this uh, from Scripture, uh, because um, and you can check to see how well I've re- re- retold to you what what happens in the chapter. Uh, but we're going to be in Acts chapter ten, and. Uh, at Bethel, we've been, we've been going through the summer looking at the book of Acts. And in the ba- book of Acts, um, it starts off uh, with Jesus ascending into heaven. Jesus has died. Uh, he's walked out of the tomb. And just when it seems like he's about uh, to kind of restore the kingdom to Israel, he, he ascends into heaven and he leaves his disciples behind. Uh, and he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, as we've been learning this summer, it, it changes everything. It, it takes everyone's expectations and it turns them upside down and, uh, and everyone is shocked by uh, how God leads in the book of Acts. And I encourage you to read it because uh, you'll notice that, that the action just sort of follows that way. It's going in an expected direction and then God will come in and he'll just kind of mess it up and say, actually, go, go this way instead. And even in some of the most difficult situations, you'll see, the, you'll see God's hand involved uh, starting the church. And so the last two weeks, uh, we've been looking at what happens when God's Holy Spirit encounters um, his, God's enemies, uh, people that, uh, that we should think of as God's enemies. And so last week, uh, God's Holy Spirit encountered a man named Saul. Uh, Saul... Uh, grew up as a, as a good Israelite, uh, and he had dedicated his life to opposing Jesus. And when, and when Saul encountered the Holy Spirit, something amazing happened. You can listen to that service last week on our website. Uh, but this week, we're going to talk about a, a different kind of bad guy, a, a man by the name of Cornelius. Um, <clears throat> and if Paul... Um, if Paul was a, a, a good, uh, God-fearing person, a Jewish person, um, uh, but his actions were bad, if he was a bad guy because of what he has done, Cornelius is, is kind of the opposite. Uh, we're going to learn a few things about this guy. We're going to learn that he's a Roman centurion, uh, which if you're a, a Jewish person uh, in the days of Jesus makes you a, a bad guy. We're going to learn that he's a Gentile, which makes him a bad guy. Uh, but we're also going to learn a few other things about him. We're going to learn that he's what's called a, a God-fearer. Uh, we're going to learn that he's generous personally and that he has dedicated um, a lot of his life to prayer. He's a person of prayer. And so uh, in our culture, when we, we tend to look at individuals to decide if someone's a good person or, or not so good, um, <clears throat> uh, but in, in their culture, it had a lot more to do with what group you belong to. And so Cornelius um, seems like a good guy, uh, but his, his identity is, is very much on the team of God's enemies. And so today we're, we're talking all about identity, what, uh, what makes us who we are. And the, the best way, I think, um, to, uh, to answer the question, who are you? Um, one of the best ways, um, I have a slide up here, one question you can ask is, is next right there. What 
what three words describe you, right? If when you meet somebody, uh, how do you introduce yourself? What do you tell them about yourself? Um, when I was uh, a kid, I, the three things that, that I would have said uh, in high school, I would have said, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I like to play video games, and I'm a terrible student. And that could have summed up who I was in high school. Another, another question, way you can ask that question is, you know, look back, remember back to those, to those days uh, in, in high school, if you can, it's been a while. You know, what, what table did you sit at? Uh, people that grew up around here have told me that uh, when they went to high school, there was a big divide between the kids that grew up uh, in the rural areas and the kids that grew up in town, right? And the farm kids kind of hung out together and the town kids kind of hung out together and there was a little bit of conflict. But, but what, what are those, those three things? How, how do you introduce yourself? Sometimes it's what we do for a living. Now, um, if somebody asked me what my three things were, I'd probably say I'm, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, and I love to eat Chipotle. These are the three most important things about me uh, that you need to know. I say that often because occasionally people want to give me gift cards, and, you know, I just, that's the, no. Um, um, or maybe, uh, maybe if I was thinking uh, other ways or, um, you know, another three words, you know, I'm somebody, I, I'm from Colorado. Most people that know me know that. I lead with that. Um, I, I think of myself as a, as a pretty patient person. I have patience, and I love to listen to podcasts. That's another description. But, but we all have different ways to describe ourselves, especially today on the 4th of July. What's, what's the main thing that we use to describe ourselves? What are we? And we're Americans, yeah. And we, and we thank God for our country, and we, and we remember today that no matter um, what other identities we might claim, um, uh, we're, we're an American. Um, it turns out we're actually all um, uh, deciding what team we're on every day. We're all kind of building that identity. You know, sometimes we build it by the car that we drive or the table that we sit at, the job that we do. Oftentimes the job that you do defines your identity. Sometimes the, the place you grew up defines your identity. Sometimes, uh, and especially in our culture today, when I was a kid, you, you shared your identity by bumper stickers. You know, like, you, you, everyone knew. You knew uh, everything about somebody by the back of their car. Now, you know, we've, like, I don't know, there's a boom in, like, the flag industry, right? And so if you're a person that makes flags, like, literally whatever flag you're flying uh, is your identity. And regardless of what identity that is, you can fly a flag about it, amen, <laughs> right? Uh, we all have different ways of, of communicating that, and, and that often uh, leads us to a table to sit at, and our identity often helps us figure out who our enemies are, doesn't it? When you're driving down the road behind that person, and, and when I was a kid, um, the, the Jesus fish had just started, and where I grew up, you know, I remember the first Jesus fish on the back of cars that I ever saw, and then like, like several months later, there was the like, the Darwin fish. Have you ever seen like the Darwin fish? No. Oh, it's a fish with little legs and it says Darwin in the middle of it, right? So no, we're not like you. We're like them. And then my favorite one that came up where I grew up, um, there was a Jesus fish eating a Darwin fish. <laughs> and it was that conflict. It was who do you belong to? And everyone you were driving behind, you knew uh, what team they were on, right? Uh, and, and the same thing is true today. We just show it differently. Well, uh, in the ancient world, identity was just important as it is today. Uh, in the ancient world, 
Uh, just like we do today, because I think it's a, a human thing. People put themselves in groups based on where they came from, who they belong to, and what their identity is. And so today, we're talking about two different people uh, with two identities that should be in complete conflict. One has the, the Darwin fish, and one has the, has the Jesus fish. Um, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. Uh, so there's Cornelius and Peter. Um, and and our, our story, our, our scripture here in chapter 10 uh, talks about uh, Cornelius uh, meeting an angel, but first it tells us uh, a few things about him, that he's a, a centurion, which is a, a kind of a commander of Roman troops. Um, he's what's called a Gentile, um, and, and a Gentile is just somebody who is not Jewish. In the ancient world, if you were, if you were a, a Jewish person like Peter or or Jesus, the only really identity that mattered was whether or not you were a member of God's people or you were a Gentile or, or you, were, you were not. And so we have these two people, and one of the ways, they, they did it just like we do in, in high school, right? In the ancient world, if you were a Jewish person, you, you never, ever, ever sat at a table with, with Gentile people, Right? Uh, and, and the main reason was is because uh, Jewish people had very specific dietary guidelines. Uh, God, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, gives them a whole bunch of laws to help keep uh, Jewish people separate from everyone who's, who's not Jewish. See, this isn't a bad identity. God gave Peter and, and his forefathers uh, that identity. He actually pulled them out and said, you guys are my special chosen people. And, and they are not. And God's way of keeping his special chosen people special uh, was giving them some dietary guidelines so they wouldn't become really good friends with, with Gentiles, so they wouldn't get pulled away. He also uh, insisted that Jewish people not work uh, one day a week on the Sabbath. Um, imagine living in a community where one group of people doesn't do any work one day of the week and everybody else works seven days a week. 12 hours a day. Imagine the conflict in that, in that community when you're like, here you are sitting around for a whole day and I'm, you know, uh, working hard, whatever. Uh, so God, God created these, these, separate, these separate communities, these, these distinctions. And so here we go. Cornelius, even though he's kind of a good guy, uh, should have absolutely nothing to do with, with Peter, right? Cornelius seems like a good guy. It says he's a God-fearer. It says even Jews respected him as a person, uh, but the one thing that, that Peter could never do and that a good Jew would absolutely never do is, is sit down around a table with Cornelius. Maybe you'd meet him in the street. Maybe if you were really, really generous, you might welcome Cornelius to your house, but, but you would never go there because for Peter to go and sit at Cornelius' table with other Gentiles would require Peter to eat food that that this, the Bible, uh, tells him not to eat. Uh, he'd have to mix with people that, that Scripture uh, and their interpretation of it uh, told him not to mix with. So that's, that's the, the beginning of this, and we're just going to run through, through what happens. I've got another slide that just sort of sketches, sketches the story here. So the first uh, eight verses, um, God does like a you, they do this in movies all the time. It's sort of like the parent trap. God talks to Cornelius, and then he talks to Peter, and he arranges everything so that he'll come together. But God starts with Cornelius. In verses 1 through 8, God sends an angel uh, to talk to Cornelius and says, Hey, Cornelius, 
Uh, you're a God-fearer, you're a generous man, and your prayers, they've risen up, and I've heard them. Uh, I'm going to give you one instruction. God says, Cornelius, go send for this guy named Peter. He lives about 30 miles away. Uh, pick him up and, and have him come back to your house. Okay, that's verses 1 through 8. Um, and so then we change scenes, right? Now we're at Peter's house, and Peter, uh, he's hanging out at this house, and, and I love this in verse, in verse 9. It says, at about noon the following day, so, so Cornelius sends his guys to go get Peter, but they haven't arrived yet. It's noon the next day, and Peter is praying on the roof, but it's noon, uh, so Peter is hungry. <laughs> he's, he's hungry, he wants to eat, and, and he has uh, this vision, and it's really weird to our ears. This is the vision, verse 11. Peter's really hungry. He's on the roof of this house, and it says that he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet um, being uh, let down. I just, I missed it here. Uh, being let down to earth by its four corners. Uh, and so, so, you know, imagine just like this, except bigger, this big sheet. Heaven opens and this sheet descends. This is Peter's watching. He's hungry. And on the sheet is all kinds of animals, <laughs> okay? Every, every kind, it says all kinds of animals, uh, a bunch of different reptiles, and a bunch of different birds, okay? This is a weird image for us in this world, but it's, it's, a, it's a sheet full of animals. And if you know anything about Jewish uh, dietary restrictions, they had all kinds of things that they were supposed to eat that they weren't supposed to eat, right? It's what keeps you from sitting at somebody like Cornelius' table because Cornelius might try and serve you pork or he might uh, try and serve you a lobster or something else that uh, good Jewish people couldn't eat back in the day. It's very sad. Um, and so he lowers it down, and there's this sheet full of all these crazy animals. It's pigs and, and cows. It must be like a really big sheet. I'm having a hard time imagining this, but he, he lays down this big sheet. Peter sees it, and, and just like, um, you know, he notices immediately what's, what's on there, um, and as the sheet descends, he hears a voice, and the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat, um, not, not very appetizing to us, but that would have been appetizing to him, maybe. Uh, if you're hungry, Peter, here are the animals. Uh, kill them and, and eat them. And Peter's response is absolutely 100% correct. He says, surely not, Lord. Because Peter is looking at all the stuff he, his whole life has been taught by Scripture to avoid, to not do, because it's, it's wrong and it's going to separate him from God. It's, it, it's conflicts with his identity. Uh, he says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And it says, then the voice speaks to him a second time, uh, because this is a big ask. Um, and God says this, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Uh, now, uh, some of us today in the church might be like, but but God, let me show you what it says in Leviticus. These are unclean animals, but, but Peter, evidently, having heard God's voice twice, is not in the mood to argue. And so he doesn't respond. But God says, see these animals that you call unclean, that you've spent your whole life avoiding. Uh, don't call them impure if God has made them clean. And it happened, it happened three times to kind of confirm What's happening? So Peter has this vision, is, and Peter's standing up on the roof. He's thinking about this vision. And, and right after it ends, um, Cornelius's his guys show up. So Cornelius, right, he's a centurion. He actually sends 
uh, another God-fearing guy. He sends like, like, like uh, army guys, like Roman guys to come get him. And they come to Peter's house. He's on the roof and he sees them down there. And Peter hears a voice from the Lord uh, that says, um, the Spirit says, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. So Peter's He's processing this weird vision about food. These guys show up at his house, and, and he hears this voice in the Spirit that says, go. And so Peter has been following Jesus long enough to know that when God tells you to go with somebody, you do it. And so he does. He goes to Cornelius, in, and in verse uh, 24 through 43, um, because of the vision that Peter had and because of uh, God's voice leading him here, he does something that, that um, Jesus didn't even do on earth. Uh, I believe it or not, right? Jesus got in trouble for who he ate with all the time, uh, but he uh, never went in and ate at the table of a Gentile, but Peter does it because he remembers that dream and he remembers what God just said about unclean animals and don't you dare call unclean what I have been called clean. And so he walks in, he eats at the table, sits with Cornelius, and they have this big, uh, this big party, uh, and he, he preaches the gospel to Cornelius. He says, uh, maybe you've heard about some of these things. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Uh, and and he, he ends it this way in verse 43. He says, uh, all the prophets testify about him being Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it says, while Peter was sp- still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And this is a, a sign in Acts to show that somebody has received received Christ and received the Spirit. This is the first thing that happened after Jesus ascended into heaven before they started the ministry. The Holy Spirit came. And and so here we are. Peter is standing here with all of the wrong people who are bad guys by blood, who, who God repeatedly in the Old Testament has said, don't have anything to do with these people. And Peter preaches the gospel, and he sees the, the bad guys, the wrong people. Uh, he sees the Spirit poured out. They receive that message. And, and in verses 44 through 48, everyone receives the good news, uh, not just Cornelius, but everybody in his family and all his friends that he invited over, all these Gentiles and their, and their big pig roast. Um, he received, they receive the good news, the Spirit is poured out, and everybody's baptized. And, and if you look at chapter 11, it, this is how you know, at least for me, that it's like a, a true church story, because in chapter 11, it leads off with everybody being really mad at Peter for going to the wrong person's house, and he has to say, no, no, it's okay, because God, God said. Uh, but so, so that's, that's how it ends. So uh, God does this whole kind of parent trap thing, brings them, brings them together. Um, and so the question uh, that, that I, or the thing I want to point out here uh, before we move forward is, is three key things, and they're on that, that next slide, um, and it's this. Um, if God wanted to save Cornelius... Um, he didn't have to do it this way. Actually, there were lots of ways that uh, Cornelius could have met, could have met Jesus. Um, first of all, in the ancient world, um, uh, Gentiles that really believed Yahweh was the one true God, there was a process for becoming Jewish. Uh, you could submit to a process and actually convert to Judaism. Cornelius could have started eating kosher, he could have been circumcised. He could have uh, committed to, to Judaism. Uh, uh, but for some reason, God doesn't do that. God shows up at his house, and God could have said, Hey, Cornelius, go get circumcised, and then I'm going to tell you about who Jesus is. But he, but he doesn't, right? And the second thing is this. Uh, Cornelius uh, could have came to Peter's house to get to know who Jesus was. Um, 
It was unusual as a Jewish person to have Gentiles at your table, but it was okay. It was accepted. It was far more normal than Peter going to his. And finally, right, Cornelius could have met a a Christian anywhere and heard the gospel anywhere, uh, but for some reason, God decided uh, that Peter needed to go in to Cornelius's house. And so it's a little bigger than just an event, isn't it? Instead, um, in our story, in, in, in chapter 10, uh, God and the Holy Spirit um, force the uncomfortable conflict, don't they? Uh, Peter may want that easy way out. I may want that easy way out. But for whatever reason, God says, we're going to make this as awkward as possible. I don't just want you, Peter, to bring the gospel to a Gentile. I want you to do it in the Gentile's house, at the Gentile's table with the, with the, you know, the beautiful roast pig sitting in the center of the table. I want you to do it for the wrong person in the wrong place with the wrong people. God orchestrated it so that Peter would have to choose what his main identity was. So that Peter would have to decide if he was more a follower of Jesus or more a Jewish person. God actually uh, created the situation to bring those two things into conflict. For Peter to bring the good news to Cornelius, he has to abandon a part of his identity, his his Jewishness. And, And I think the reason for this uh, is because God is trying to show in, uh, that what he's doing in Jesus and in the Spirit is, is bigger than any other allegiance or identity someone might have. Uh, Peter is forced to choose to be a Jew or to follow Jesus in that moment. And through Peter, uh, Cornelius is, is forced to make a choice as well. Cornelius is forced to choose to stay a good enough uh, God-fearing Roman or uh, to, to, follow, to follow Jesus. And I think the truth is that if we want to follow Jesus, we, uh, uh, we're faced with that same choice all the time. We're faced with an opportunity to lay down our other identities as well. Um, I, I believe, um, and this story shows a little bit, but I believe that God, he, he desires to meet us right where we are. Um, I think Acts shows us that, that God uh, sends his people, sends his spirit right into the houses of people like Cornelius, right into the pathways of people like Rome, right along the chariots of, of, of eunuchs, uh, like the one that Philip witnesses to that we didn't actually cover, but uh, God is always sending his people in to meet people right where they're at. Um, there's a, a great uh, passage where Paul is trying to explain the gospel to uh, Greek people who don't know the story of the Old Testament, and Paul explains it to them in their language, in their way of understanding. God always wants to meet us where we are, doesn't he? And I don't care who you are, God wants to meet you there. Uh, but this story, uh, it shows us something else, too. Uh, because uh, God doesn't just meet Cornelius where he is and leave him that way. Just like uh, Peter, uh, God didn't have to send Peter to Cornelius' house. God, uh, if Cornelius was fine just as he was, why send Peter at all? No, God sent Peter uh, because Cornelius had to change too. I believe that God meets us right where we are, but he refuses to leave us 
that way. Uh, uh, this uh, Bible scholar named, named uh, N.T. Wright um, puts it this way in his commentary on Acts, and I have the, the quote up there. Uh, he explains it like this. He says, It is not the case, then, that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are. But responding to that invitation always involves the complete transformation which is acted out in repentance, forgiveness, baptism, and receiving in the Spirit. No, what is at stake here is not uh, the 18th century principle of tolerance, but the glorious first century truth that Jesus, in Jesus the Messiah of Israel, God has broken down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles, humiliating both categories. Uh, When Jesus comes, he asks all of us to lay down the identities that we think make us good enough. We're not invited to tolerate everyone else in their identities. We're we're not uh, encouraged um, to just say everybody's fine. Uh, Unfortunately, the the message is is kind of the opposite. The the difficult truth of of Scripture isn't uh, isn't that everybody's okay, um, but but that no one is okay. That none of our secondary identities put first are good enough. Because when your identity, when the person that you tell yourself you are is, is separate from Christ or isn't, isn't under Christ, it divides you from him. It divides you from other people and it even divides you from yourself. The, the, the gospel is all about uh, identity. And, and the next slide uh, says it right there. Uh, the, the difficult truth is not that everyone's fine, but that all have sinned and no one is okay. Uh, the truth is that the identity that, that I have, the, the person that I think of myself to be and the person that you think of yourself to be, if it's not submitted to Christ, is not good enough. Um, even a good identity, uh, like Peter, a member of God's people, the Jews, it, it wasn't enough. God asked him to lay it down, otherwise be divided from God. And that the identities, the ways of thinking of ourselves that we've got from family or culture or religion or even our country of origin or our geography or the identity that we've built for ourselves with feelings, the tables that we've decided we belong enough, it's just not enough. God said to Peter, your identity as a good Jew is not enough. And he said to Cornelius, your identity as a God-fearing good Roman, it's, it's, it's not enough. It's not okay. And, and the truth holds for us as well, that your identity as a rich person or a young person or an old person, it's, it's not enough. It must be submitted to Christ. Your identity as a good person or a moral person, it's, it's not enough. If your main identity is that as a, as a patriotic American, it's, it's not enough. It's, it needs to be submitted to Christ. If you get your identity, your worth as being a hard worker, it's not enough. If it's being a farmer or a pastor or a teacher or an activist or a social worker or a factory worker or a tradesman or a church member or a stay-at-home parent or a working parent, if that is your identity, it's not enough for God. Because he wants your identity to be in Christ, his son. He wants everything that you are to be informed and transformed by that. He wants to push you, just like Peter, to reject the identity that you cling on to the tightest so that instead 
will cling on to him. In our culture, we see what it looks like when people hold hard onto an identity that's not Christ. And we see it in ourselves. We, we, we build walls and start fights with each other. We, uh, we say goodbye to our family and we refuse to talk with them. We, we exaggerate our pride over the things that we think make us who we are. And the reason we do that is because I think we're insecure about them. And we're insecure about them because there's a part of us that knows it's true, that knows that those other ways of thinking of ourselves are simply shadows. Um, when God uh, looks at the identities we've built for ourselves, he sees they're flimsy. When he saw Cornelius, he saw his identity was flimsy. When he saw Peter as a faithful Jew, he saw that that identity was cheap. But he refused to leave them that way, and he refuses to leave us that way. Instead, he invites us to lay down those other ways of constructing ourselves and accept Jesus who makes us new. Um, this meal, uh, as, as Peter and Cornelius sat at a table together, it's, it's a preview of what's going to come in Acts. Um, uh, because what happens with the church in Acts and in the years later is that people that never sat around the same table together start sitting around the Lord's table together. It's a preview of what's to come because eventually uh, Paul, who we were talking about last week, the enemy of God, he'll write uh, that in Christ um, there is no male or female, free person or slave, rich person or poor person, Jewish person or Gentile person. Paul will write, all uh, are welcome at God's table together. And the offer still stands to us. We're, we're still able to lay down our identity and instead find the true one in Christ alone. Uh, a life founded on anything else, even a really good thing, if it's not, if it's not Christ, is hollow. It's missing something. A life built, an identity built on following the most admirable values imaginable is hollow if it's not in Christ. Our Savior invites us a more secure, better fitting, given to us by our maker identity, one that transcends every category, that flies higher than any flag our culture might ask us to choose. It's an identity that redefines and reshapes and redeems the places that God puts us. It's an identity that ought to make the people that we meet scratch their heads even if they th we think they're on our side. But a life uh, founded on any of that other stuff, uh, whatever it is, good or bad, anything but Christ alone uh, is, is not enough. And so our invitation is that, to take up him. And maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never prayed and confessed that the hollow ways that you have of trying to be good enough and trying to make yourself aren't enough and accepted what Jesus offers. Maybe you've never reckoned with the fact that your tribal identities uh, shape your faith more than your faith shapes your tribal identity. Some of us maybe have let another identity grow up. <laughs> Uh, and overshadow and co-opt our identity in Christ. But wherever we are, we're invited to, invite, to approach the table and to bring with us those things and, and lay them down at the foot of the cross, to ask the Spirit to show us 
uh, where parts of who we are aren't submitted to Christ. And then we can leave them behind at this table and walk away with our true identity in him. We're invited today to lay down anything that's not Christ. To submit everything that we are underneath him. To die to those masks and be made new and secure in him. This identity is never threatened by what other people do or think or say. Instead, it's secure in the one who came back from the dead. It's an identity that can speak truth to others freely and can love sitting at the table with people we never thought we could dine with. It's one that's more solid and fits just right because it's the true identity that God has made for us. So as we come to this table, we do it not because we're okay or good enough, but because we believe in Christ and we want to be in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, there are so many things that get in the way of who you want us to be. We live in a world full of an abundance of good choices, good models, and good ideas of of who we could be. There are so many values that we can find, so many identities that we can take up, but we know they're all hollow. And so instead, Lord, we confess that the only um, person we want to be is yours. So we ask in the name of Jesus that you forgive us, you make us new, and you welcome us around our table, that same table where we'll sit with people we never imagined we would listen to, with people we never imagined we would eat with, with people we'd never imagined we would have anything in common with, because the thing we have in common is you, our Savior. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.